Welcome to Coffee with Chris Yip, the official podcast of the Faculty of Applied Science and Engineering at the University of Toronto. I'm Chris Yip, the Dean here at the U of T Engineering. In each episode, I'll be sitting down for coffee with someone from our amazing global community to talk about what they're working on and how it places us at the heart of bold solutions to design a better world. In this first season, I want to zoom in on the why, finding out what drives the curiosity and passion of our extraordinary community. Once you understand that, I hope you'll start to see what makes this place so special and that you'll be inspired to make, innovate, and create along with us. Today on Coffee with Chris Ship, have you ever had an MRI? Since its invention in the 1970s, magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, has become a powerful tool for looking inside the human body without the need for invasive surgery. It's used to diagnose and track conditions from heart disease to cancer, but there's a lot more that it can do. Professor Hailing Margaret Cheng and her team are designing the next generation of MRI scans. In the future, they could be used to catch cancer in its earliest stages or track stem cell treatments as they repair damaged tissues. A better window into what's happening inside the body could save lives around the world. Morning, Margaret. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you doing? Good. It's uh, great to have you here on the inaugural podcast here and uh, get a chance to catch up and and hear all about uh, the cool stuff you're doing uh, in your lab. I know we've talked about wanting yeah. to do an MRI of my knee, so uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> give me the give me the intro. What is MRI? MRI is a really cool technology that has become very prevalent in the past two decades. It's a clinical imaging modality, very similar to CT, X-ray, and ultrasound in that it's able to get images inside your body in a non-invasive way. But unlike CT or nuclear medicine, it doesn't involve the use of radioactive tracers. And when you compare it against all the other imaging modalities that are available, MRI is the only one that gives you the best contrast or signal differences amongst different tissue types in your body. Can I image my heart? Can I image my brain? Can I image cartilage in my body? MRI can do all of that. It can penetrate deep into your body without any depth limitations and provide really highly spatially resolved images, which means that the details are superior. When we talk about imaging function, uh, it could mean different things for different MR physicists. Uh, For the neuroimaging people, functional imaging always means imaging brain function. So certain parts of the brain getting more blood flow because that part of the brain is activated. But functional MR, functional imaging actually means a lot more than just brain function. It means function in every part of the body. So when I think about functional MRI, I think about things like how fast is blood flowing to my toe. How much blood is actually going through my liver? It includes things like tissue oxygenation. What is the hemoglobin, oxyhemoglobin level in the blood? Those things are what we consider to be functional. Cool. And so how, maybe compare it to to someone who's had an ultrasound or an x-ray. Is it does it take longer or is it faster? Um, is it so, noisy? Unfortunately, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more um, later on in this interview, the time that it takes for an MR exam is longer compared to an x-ray or a CT scan or ultrasound, but it's not 
that much longer. Typically, people would have 30 minutes in an MRI scanner if they're imaging the brain or other body parts. If they're doing a cardiovascular exam, that's when the time goes up a little bit, up to an hour or maybe even a little bit more. But when you compare the amount of time it takes to do a CT scan under 10 minutes, obviously it's a big difference. Ultrasound scans, on the other hand, are also, you know, they, they, all, they also take time. Half an hour is not uncommon for a cardiovascular exam. So when we really look at the practical aspects of MR, of course, I'm biased. Um, but for the amount of information that MRI provides you, it's, it's really a, an excellent modality. It's terrific because we we hear a lot now. It's it's become almost. I mean, it's become commonplace, yep. right? You know, over the past fifty years, there's been lots of improvements. You know, your work is very much focused in how do I how do I improve it? And I guess maybe for our for our listeners, you know, what are the key areas that you know MRI imaging needs to be improved on? When I think about an MR. As with most people, they think about pretty anatomical images. You can get exquisite detail of the cartilage, cartilage tissue against bone with muscle. And this is the reason why sports injury um, can only be imaged on MR and not with other modalities, because MR is the only modality that gives you the excellent tissue contrast amongst different tissue types. But I think about MR it, it, at a deeper level. I think about MR as a high-resolution analog of nuclear imaging because it can provide functional information, physiological information. And really the two different capabilities of MR that my lab is working on to advance are, first of all, trying to make it go faster so that we can have shorter scan times. And the second is to be able to probe at molecular events, functional events, that are still below the detection limit today. Because currently, it's not the first modality the doctors will prescribe for a lot of different conditions. But as it becomes more and more commonplace, it will become cheaper. And it, it, you know, it's, it's like a positive feedback loop. So that, that is where I would like to bring MR you know, closer to. I did a little bit of digging in the literature, and I, I found this cool paper called Bright Ferritin that you you published. Maybe maybe you could could talk a little bit about that. It looks really cool. The ability to kind of track a, a, a cell using the MR system. You're really pushing into a completely different realm. So Bright Ferritin is truly a scientific discovery. It's a mechanism for tracking cells that we discovered by sheer luck. But the technology is so cool that we actually filed a PCT patent on it just last month, April 2021. It is a method for us to be able to image stem cells or any type of therapeutic cells. You can even think about tracking cancer immune cells, for instance, only for the duration that the cells remain alive. And so once the cells die, the signal will go away. Even if they start reproducing and dividing into daughter cells and more daughter cells and more daughter cells, so long as the cells remain alive, the signal will be maintained at a constant level on a per cell basis. So this is unlike any other existing cell tracking technology where the signal 
fades away as cells grow and divide. Um, it's also very sensitive, meaning that we can detect the cells with a high SNR, signal-to-noise ratio. We discovered this really just by being good scientists. My former PhD student, Daniel Schultz, and I, we basically created a grid of possible factors, experimental variables that we could vary. And we tried out every single permutation. And then we saw this anomaly. Why are we seeing a signal with this certain combination of genetic modification and MR contrast agent? We repeated it, same thing, again and again and again. In vivo, in vitro, we could not get rid of the signal. And so we dug deeper. And basically what we were seeing was the ability of cells to assemble on their own these metal nanoparticles that give off a bright signal on magnetic resonance imaging. They're harmless. Cells are perfectly happy um, because these particles also get recycled and eliminated from the cell over the course of several days. I'm so happy with this discovery that we are taking it to investigate stem cell therapy. We're going to be looking at both cardiac and neural stem cell regeneration guided by this new technology. The bright ferritin technology is really meant for enabling surgeons, radiologists to be able to see the therapeutic cells that they implant or transplant into a patient. The cells could be transplanted for the purpose of treating a myocardial infarct. It might be implanted to treat a spinal cord injury. It could also be transplanted to repair damaged areas of the brain that suffered stroke. Could also be used to track, you know, liver cells, kidney cells, you name it. Anytime that people are using therapeutic cells and putting them inside the body for growing new tissue, you can use this technology. Technology can also be used for tracking immune cells like cancer immune cells for cancer immunotherapy, which is also a really hot new topic these days. That's a really cool discovery and and sort of points out investigating something which is anomalous in your data, right? Um, yeah. Seeing something that was persistent and then really digging in deep to figure out what it really, where it was coming from. I always tell my students, data never lies and we should never look at the data with preconceived hypotheses. Really look at the data for what they're trying to tell us. And I think that's where discoveries can come from. It's good to have expectations, but don't be married to the expectations and be prepared to be surprised. I noticed there's another there's another author with the same last name on that paper. Is that is that someone related to you? So that same author, Haiying Mary Chang, that's my younger sister. Um, she is a molecular biologist, but now doing mostly neurobiology. Yes, she is also an inventor on this um, because she helped us design the genetic modification to introduce into these cells. Cool. So, so was it was it fun working with your sister on the project? It is. She challenges me um, and I challenge her. She would tell me if things aren't good, if they're not correct, she'll tell me to my face, right? There's no, it, she doesn't need to hold back. Right. And um, her heart is all in. She tries to teach me about biology and I try to teach her about the physical side of things. Um, and despite not completely understanding her biology or her understanding my physics, at, you know, in some instances, we, we do connect. 
we do understand. And it, it doesn't have to be a deep understanding. It, all it takes is that we can see, oh, there is something that we can actually work on together. And so I'm looking forward to more collaborations with her. That actually leads me to a, a, a very nice segue. A little bit about your path into, into biomedical engineering now, because I know your, your, your original, your undergrad work and so on was also in signal processing, but really not in this, as you just sort of, not really in the biology space. And maybe you could give us, give the listeners a little bit of a sense of, of that trajectory. So um, I'll, I'll just step a little bit back, rewind even a little bit more to high school. I was interested in many things. All the sciences, biology, chemistry, physics. I loved math. I loved history. I loved, <laughs> I loved every subject in school. I don't know if I should be saying that on the podcast, but when it came time to decide on a discipline to go into for undergraduate studies, uh, my father actually was the one who recommended that I go into engineering because it was a practical discipline. I personally wanted to go into either physics or math. But I, I listened to my dad, I trusted him, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed my four years of undergrad in electrical and computer engineering. And I subsequently got a master's degree also in the same department, electrical and computer engineering. And after my master's, I decided to take a break. I knew I wanted to get a PhD, but I wasn't quite sure what. Even at that time, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to get a PhD in electrical and computer engineering. So I worked as an engineer for two years. During those two years, it was very interesting. I was working on real-time signal processing for synthetic aperture radar. So the, these are SARS are, are technologies that the military and you know the Canadian government, they have on these planes, aircrafts where they're surveying the land and getting very high resolution mapping of coastlines and such. And so I was working on that looking at signal processing theory, writing code for the real-time processing and generation of these images. And after two years, I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to do something different. I knew I still wanted to do engineering, but it wasn't applied to you know, defense or surveillance. I wanted to do something to help people. Um, and so I talked to my sister she was already in uh, graduate school at the University of Toronto at that time. And I asked her, I said, what can I as an engineer do that could help people? And she said, why don't you go into medical biophysics? And I listened to her. <laughs> so I ended up in the medical biophysics program imaging stream at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. And that's where I spent the next four and a half years doing my PhD. And at the time, I interviewed with all the profs you know, the x-ray profs, the CT, <laughs> ultrasound, MR. MRI was the only modality that interested me because it was new. It was funky. Not a lot of people knew anything about it. And I felt that because it was so green, I could make a contribution. I fell in love with the research and I knew I wanted to stay a researcher for the rest of my life. And so I spent the next 11 years working at the hospital for sick children as an MR physicist. It wasn't until 2014 when I came to U of T that I was kind of, you know, returning back to my engineering roots. It's always great to hear and find out how people 
went along their career path, right? How you you went through the kind of the classic stream, and then and then the in, the industry experience or the real world experience, and then uh, realizing how you could apply that into a different space, and then pursuing kind of a passion, uh, which I think is always a terrific opportunity. Of course, it was great to recruit you into into U of T back in 2014 into biomedical engineering, and and also into electrical and computer engineering. Time for a couple of kind of of, of uh, off the wall questions. So I know that we were it was when was it we were trading emails over I think it was Chinese New Year. We were trading this giant thread, and um, <laughs> and it, I, I I don't even know what started the conversation, but there was a whole bunch of us on that thread, and someone was sharing pictures of their dining table and all the food that was being uh set up for chinese new year so that was that was me <laughs> yeah so so come on spill the beans tell us what uh what was on that table and and what is your favorite food for chinese new year so on that table um we had our traditional chinese new year dishes white cut chicken which is simply boiled chicken um and you dip it in soy sauce um, there was fresh steamed fish with scallion and ginger. There was also something called a like um, a minced pork filled omelet with green bean vermi- mung bean vermicelli and napa cabbage in chicken soup. It's a Shanghainese specialty, and we we eat it. It's it's like eating golden nuggets, right? It's right. it's good fortune for the rest of the year. Shanghai bok choy with soybean sprouts mixed with um, tofu pockets. That's another really, you know, that's a, it, it, it's all lucky according to Chinese. Like if you say it in Chinese, it sounds really uh, prosperous and fortuitous. What else did we have? I can't remember. There were, a, there was a lot of food. <laughs> so, so what I remember from the picture was the one that was a lot of food too. There, yeah. there. Second, it, it was, you had cooked it all, I think it was all homemade, home cooked. So I think this is going to, this is going to start the next kind of um, (laughs) of Dean, U of T Eng Dean kind of Instagram thing, which is going to be a bit of a a cooking competition between faculty (laughs) to see who who can pull off the the best, uh, the best festive meal. I'm going to make the usual Chris non sequitur connections and ask you MR for food. Have there been applications of MR imaging for food? And could we now start to apply this for when you know your noodles are ideally cooked? I don't know if I'll be passing, you know, dishes of Chinese food through the MR scanner, but I could tell you that we can maybe, you know, sort a bag of apples, you know, Mm -hmm. and find if there are worms in them (laughs) and you can (laughs) toss out the bad ones from the good ones. (laughs) Let me let me thank you, Mark. This has been an absolutely phenomenal discussion or phenomenal chat today to hear all about your research, which is which is very cool. And also to hear how you, you know, how you how your career's gone and, and how you started in, in the double E space and, and how you've now moved into this really cool interdisciplinary space, uh, applying your signal processing. As we're doing a podcasting, I'm thinking about the waveform going across here yes. and, and you analyzing the waveform and now applying it right into biology yeah. and, and the healthcare space. So again, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to be here on the the first the pilot podcast, and uh, look forward to chatting more. Look forward to getting my MR on my knee at some point. Okay, I'll call you on that. So <laughs> promise you that, great. Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> Thanks, Margaret. Thank you very much. Thanks again for listening to Coffee with Chris Yip. 
If you want to catch up on past episodes or make sure that you don't miss the next one, please subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Just look for Coffee with Chris Yip. You can also check out at U of T Engineering on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for more stories about how our community is building a better world. And finally, if you've been inspired to join us, we'd love to welcome you. Whether you're thinking of taking a degree or working with us on a research project, you can find us online at engineering.utoronto.ca, or you can visit our beautiful campus in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I hope I can join you for coffee soon.